Good stuff, good stuff. That especially is poignant to me because you know it started yesterday, right? College, oh. college football. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you may not be excited, but I just, I didn't get to see, so no one tell me about the Miami-Florida game because I'm going to rewatch it and find out what happened. But, um, but it is all this idea about us being together, and that's really what I want to talk about. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through this whole series, The Greatest Commandments. Um, about what that means for us and, and, and how we kind of dive into that and how we live that out and everything. And so we are progressing forward. So I hope if you got a chance, I hope everyone got a little, um, we've been trying to do these little sermon notes for you. Um, there are weekly readings on it that you can add to it. If you don't, just raise your hands. Joshua, make sure you get one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but you can follow along um, in that and everything. But man, this is so important. For us, because I just believe really if we know how much God loves us and how we respond to that, it changes how we do everything and how we view everything and how we act as a church, as we act as individuals and all that stuff. And so um, we're going to continue to move forward in that. And so this morning, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 22. Um, you'll notice that we use in the same verses as we did last week. Um, because this is really the heart of what we're talking about. If you don't have Bibles, they're around everywhere. Um, you can grab them, put a name on. We even have Wi-Fi here if it's working correctly. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, and, and you can log in right there. Um, but as always, <coughs> and forever, man, these are the only words that matter. Whether they're in your hand, they're on the screen, they're on your phone, these are the only words that matter. Um, they're the only ones that are going to make a difference in your life. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement for that, I'm just going to ask you if you'll stand with me as we open God's word this morning and dive in. In Matthew, in Matthew 22, starting verse 34, once again, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. You pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. <coughs> uh, you know I'm not feeling very well. We've got people not feeling well. There's a lot going on in all of our lives. God, I pray for the next moments that you would just quiet us. God, that you would just calm our hearts. And that we would have the courage to take a stark and strong look inside. God, because I know you have something for us this morning. God, I thank you that you were here before we ever arrived this morning that you were waiting for us, that you knew in times past who would be here. God, you know what needs to be said. God, you know what needs to be done. You know what needs to happen. And so, Father, I just I ask that you would move us out of the way. Move me out of the way. God, that you would just move in power despite me. God, that once again we would hear over and over in our hearts and in our minds how much you love us. And may we be different because of that. Father, I pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts to respond and the courage to live it out this morning. May these words be your words, not mine. Whatever needs to happen, let it happen today. 
And God, may you get all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, as I said, as I said, we got a little bit of a recap kind of going on. We've been doing this whole series about the greatest commandments. And, and I want to remind you, the very first thing that we talked about is how much God loves us. Now, I, I know, and I know I've said this for the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to keep saying this. I know over and over again that we keep saying that, is that for me? Bless you. Oh, that will help. But I, I know over and over, we've heard that God loves the world. For God so loved the world. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We, we know all these things. But, <coughs> but the point is, is that God not only loves the world, he loves me. I mean, I am still astounded at that fact, that God loves me. In, in spite of everything I've done, anything I've said, anything I've thought, that God loves me. In fact, there's nothing I can do. To make God love you more, there's nothing I've done to make him love me less. He just totally and completely loves me. And because of that, we respond to that. Because we know that he loves me and he loves you in a personal relationship, that idea that God wants to hang out and be with us, our response naturally is that I want to love God. I mean, I don't know any people, many people that will go around where someone so completely loves them and we're just like, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> I mean, if you ask any, any really smart psychologist or any smart scientist, they say one of the basic needs that we have is to be loved. That we, have, we want to know that someone, somewhere, loves us completely and totally for just who we are. And that's what God does for us. And so, at naturally, the response is, I love him. And because I love him, I, I, I can choose to obey we talk about all those verses in John 14. Again, great chapter to read, but read it as a promise, because forever I read it as, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I can earn your love if, if I do this. I can make you love me more if I do this. And that's not a good translation. A better translation is, if you love me, you'll be able to keep my commands. So everything that God asks me to do because I love him, because he loves me, I'm able to accomplish there's nothing impossible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing impossible for me because I love him. And he loves me. And so that's great. That's all about us and that's all about me. But we see now we're going to talk about the family. And I love that that's what really church is. There are no strangers in church. Some of us are that weird cousin, that kind of scary uncle, and we know who it is. Me and you, that's us. We're off in the corner. But there are no strangers. <coughs> We're just one big family. We're all on common ground. You know, there are two types of people. People I, I love that know God and don't know him. Which means that all of us need a Savior. That's our common ground. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter what we've done or what we do or any of that stuff. It means that Man, we are all at the same place, and because of that, we're a family. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning with you. Look back at it. That's the second part of those commands. Look back at Matthew 22. <coughs> 37, he says, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Yes, love him with everything that you have. This is the greatest and most important command. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And so it's not just about me loving God and having a warm fuzzy about God, that it's at an outward flow. Because when I naturally love God and am loved by God, then I'm going to start loving other people. And there's two types of people that we're going to love. There's the people in the family and there's people outside the family. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how do we love people outside the family. This morning, I want to focus on how do we love each other as a church and as a family. In fact, in Galatians 6.10, Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. What kind of faith? Household. It doesn't mean that we're always perfect. It doesn't mean we always get along. Most families today, my family, your family, there is dysfunction in that family. There are issues. We don't always agree. My daughters are fully grown, and there's some days I just want to grab them and, like, I'm going to make another. Just get out of here, (laughs) you know? But we are still a household of faith, and that's what we are. And so I love that Paul says, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. This is supposed to be a special place in our hearts for our family in the church. No one goes through what we go through. No, no one understands. what we, Outside of this, people look at us, and Paul even says in Corinthians, it looks like foolishness to those who are perishing. This looks crazy. How can people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, come together and be a family? I can tell you one thing. Jesus that's our common ground. And so, so how, how do we come together? And, and that's what I want to talk about because we are called to come together. And there's a couple of things, a couple of points I want you to see. The very first one is together is God's plan. You and I were never, ever meant to be alone. <coughs> I've never met a happy hermit in all my life, someone that has just totally isolated themselves from everything. In fact, it's a sign if you look if you read about like depression, one of the signs of depression is when we start isolating ourselves. When we start cutting all ties off, when we start getting away from it, we're miserable because God's plan is that we are supposed to be together. In fact, he says that in John 15:12, he says Jesus said, "This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you." Think about that for a moment. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if you have time to do this, it is, Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another. And not only love one another, love as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He sacrificed everything. He made us the focal of everything. I mean, just, just, it's mind-boggling, but think about this for a moment. When Jesus was on that cross, in all that excruciating pain and all that he went through. Your name, my name, your face, my face was on his heart and in his mind. And so he calls us to love one another like that. To, to sacrifice, to be in a relationship with one another like that. To, because that's God's plan. I mean, think about even the beginning, all the way back in creation. What did he say? He said everything, he created everything. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. 
What's the one time he said that it's not good? It's not good that the man should be alone. And so he created the family. As long as I'm here, I believe more than anything else, and I'm going to continue to proclaim that the first thing that God ordained was the family, not the church. And this should be an extension of family here, but we want to come alongside families. You know, it's one of the reasons we want bigger space so we have room to, like, pour into kids and, and moms and dads and, and everything and just to pour into families because that's what we do. We're commanded to love one another because together is God's plan for us. You can't live this faith on your own. That's why I believe, that's why it's always been in our belief here at this church is that everyone shows up. You've got a job. There's something you do. There's something you can do that we desperately need you to do that I can't do. Actually, I'm sorry. I should have put you back there and let you slide slides and stuff. We need everybody. We're missing our tech people today. I'm sitting back there going like this, slipping slides and making sure the sound's all right. We need everybody. Everyone's got a job because together is God's plan. That's why we have that tree up there, because we're all connected together. You know, a leaf is just garbage on the ground unless it's connected to other leaves in a tree. That's what, that's what God's plan is for us. But not only that, together is not only God's plan. Together is a choice. Together is a choice that we have to make. In fact, in 1 John 4, 7, John writes this. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who has love has been born of God and knows God. We have to choose to love one another. We have to be able to choose and say, hey, you know, it's not just about me. It's, it's not about just my preferences. It's about the family. And so many of our churches are littered with people and littered with problems because people are more stuck on their preferences than they are on, on absolutes and convictions. And we talked about that way a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about our become class or belong and all that stuff. That there are certain things that we're going to stand on. We're not going to argue about. These are absolutes. One of them is, I say it every time, is God's word. We stand upon this, that this is God's word. This is what we're going to preach from. This is what we're going to focus on. We, we have convictions on how we do worship, you know, or, or communion or all this other stuff. And we, we have convictions about that. We have convictions about we should be sharing the gospel, that we're commanded to do that. And as we grow in our faith, that we go and do that. But then we have preferences. I like these type of seats. I like this type of music. This is my row. This is my seat. You know, your mom would be so mad if she saw you sitting in that chair right now. <laughs> Listen, if you want a special sheet, seat, do what, do what my mother-in-law did. Buy a chair. <laughs> Bring it. We'll, we'll make room for it. But this is what we got. It, it's so funny. We sit where we always sit and all this stuff. And I, I, one day we were just going to like, I'm going to leave the chair stacked on the side just one day and see where people grab them and take them. I got money that says, and I'm not a betting man, sorry. But if I was, I'd take it you grab your chair and go right where you were always. Those are preferences. We have to choose to love one another. We have to choose 
to put the other ahead. We, we have to choose to say, you know what? I'm not going to miss a family gathering. You know, it, it's sad, and I, you know, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you know I really don't care. <laughs> <coughs> What's the first thing that we usually set aside when our schedule gets too busy? Church. I got soccer games, and, and I've got, I got this stuff, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And I know it's hard. We, we live in a culture here, too, that it, it's shift work. And people have jobs, and I understand. And my challenge to you is to ask. If they say no, then at least you ask. And I think God honors that. But, I mean, I think we let church, this gathering, become the first thing that we say, you know what, I've got other things to do. It's college football season. The good thing I'm not a pro football person because those guys get paid too much money. If church was on Saturday... I'd be struggling every Saturday. I'm just telling you right now. Just because I'm cheering for Florida State this year. I'm hoping for a much better year, you know. <laughs> but we let this go, don't we? We have to choose. And then when we choose to come, we have to choose to come and be a part of it. What sense does it make just to show up to church and sit in some chair and sing some songs and then walk out and say, okay, I'm done, check. I mean, that's a waste of an hour or so. It is. Our house ain't done. Yeah, we got plants to move. We got to go clean that thing this afternoon. I got, and I'm tired. <laughs> I feel like yuck. And so I would have loved to stay in bed today. And like, let's just go get up and finish moving into my daughter's house, which is amazing to me. Pray for her because part of my mind, my little demented mind is that this is payback for the 20 years that she lived with me. <laughs> so those of you that are kids or have had living, just know it's going to come back. <laughs> But, I mean, it would be so easy to put aside. And so I could come here and say, like, well, you know, I'm just going to put kind of my half heart into it. Maybe I'll sing a song and stuff. No, we choose to come. We choose to love each other. We choose to be together. And when we come, we are present. How many times have you seen someone in church that they're at church, but they're not at church? How many times have you been at church, but you're not at church? It's a choice. We make to love each other. I mean, guys, right now, we only get together once a week. I mean, my, my prayer is that we start our home groups again, our family groups up here real soon. And we have more opportunity to get together. And those are coming in the next few months. But man, we got to choose. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. Love is from God. We are loved by him, we love him, and we should love each other. I can tell you, I never felt more loved on than I did yesterday. Knowing how miserable I felt and seeing people just show up at my house to pack and move boxes in the worst time of year to move. Man, that was love, and I appreciate that. Everything, but we are called because it is a choice. And then, and then, another one. Together, it's a testimony to the world. When we are together, when we are unified, when we come together and we're loving each other, even though all our backgrounds are different, everything is is. There's no reason in a normal world that we would be hanging out. <laughs> 
But we come together and we're unified and we, we stick together like this. Man, it is a testimony of the world. They look at it and say, what is going on over there? In fact, that's what's in John 13. <coughs> Verse 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In John 17, Jesus prays a great high priestly prayer, and it's a beautiful prayer. The first part is his disciples. And then all of a sudden he prays for you and me. Did you know that? That Jesus actually prayed for us before he went to the cross. He says, Father, may they be one as you and I are one, so the world will know that you sent me. What a beautiful picture. You want to know how the world knows that Jesus is real, that Jesus is saving and redeeming and doing everything he did? You show you want to see that? You find a church where the people are loving each other and they're in unity together. That doesn't mean we always agree, by the way. Well, no one's asking. Nowhere in Scripture does it say just be a blind follower. In fact, we're, we're challenged to think, to be prepared to have an answer for the hope that rests in us. We're, we're challenged to, to understand our faith and to grow in our faith which means we're not always going to agree on everything, how we do things, how chairs are set up, what music we're doing, what's going on. We may not always agree, but, man, we can love each other and we can still be in unity together. I, I, I think I have two roles as a pastor. One is to equip and train, and two is to guard the unity of the church because that's when people are going to see Jesus. That's louder than any service we could do, any band we could put up here, any facility we have, any of that. When a church is together loving one another, it's a testimony. And I promise you, there are people out there looking for a community like that. Where I can come as I am, and I'm going to be loved, I'm going to be accepted, and I'm going to be changed. And that's what this is all about. It's God's plan. It's a choice we make, and it is a testimony. It is a testimony to the world. Guys, if we're not loving one another, I would dare to say that we cannot be called a church. Because, man, when we're loving each other, we're going to do things. The world's going to be different because we're here. We, we need that. This, this is why. This is that outflow. God loves me. I love God. And so I love the things that God loves. And guess who God loves? You. And so I have to love you. I don't always have to like you. <laughs> you don't always have to like me. But my goodness, I'm always going to love you. It's a testimony. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that neat how this all works out? We need community. We are made not to be alone. We, we need this. You know, anyone that sits there and goes, well, I don't need to go to church to know God and everything. I, I agree. You don't need to go to church to know God, but you need to go to church to grow in God. Anybody that says the church is not that important, the local churches, then you need to take like this entire half of your Bible, it's called the New Testament, and rip it out. Because everything in there is about the local church. Yes, we are part of the universal church. We're all one big body. Man, I can't wait for that service. 
I'm not going to be preaching. Jesus is going to be preaching. I'm going to be the door greeter. Man, I'm just going to be hugging people, saying, hey, welcome. Come on in. Here's some coffee. <laughs> I'm going to love that day. But I'm telling you, if you talk to all these letters that Paul wrote, were to the local church. And how important it is for us to gather, to love one another. We need community because when we have community, we come together and we encourage each other. We encourage each other. You need someone to speak into you, an encourager. Not just the pastor on Sunday. You need to surround yourself with people that will speak into you. Everyone knows who David is, right? David and Goliath, all the great, he threw a stone. David had people speak into him. In fact, look at this. <coughs> In 1 Samuel 23, verse 15 and 16, it says, there's a dark time in David's life. It says, David was in the wilderness of Ziph and Horish when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Here's David, was anointed to be king by Samuel. As a little runt of the family, the one that they didn't even invite him to the lunch when Samuel come to say, let me see your sons, Jesse. Didn't even invite him to come. They're like, and Samuel's like, is there anybody else? They're like, oh, there's David. <laughs> he's watching the sheep. He's not important. And he's the one anointed to be king. Here he is, and all he's doing is obeying God. He shows up and slays Goliath out of faith and everything, and God gets the glory, and he's getting all this stuff, and Saul gets jealous, and he knows what's happening. And so Saul decides, man, I'm going to get rid of this guy. And here's David. He has to hide out. So he's in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul come out to his life. Then Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David in Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God. Who's your Jonathan? Who's that person that's going to speak into you and say, keep going? Don't, don't. Don't quit. Don't quit. You can make it. You know that word encourage means? It literally means to come up underneath and lift up. When we're at our lowest point, isn't that exactly what we need? Someone to actually get underneath where we are and to lift us back up. You know, one of the reasons I played that video is I grew up playing football. I love football. Better coach than I am player. But I remember getting knocked flat on my back. And it was amazing when I saw a hand reach down and say, come on, let's try it again. We need that in our life. We need someone to come encourage us to, to, to speak into us. So who's your Jonathan? Who's that person that meets you in your wilderness that will speak and and, and encourage you that way? But not only encourage, we need community to confront each other with truth. We like it when people say the good stuff to us. But is there anybody that will speak truth to you even when it's not comfortable? Is there anybody that's going to gonna like, like say, hey, you're messing up here? David had that also. David messed up big time, remember? Remember the story? David, he sent his army out 
and he decides, King, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to hang out in my, like, my, my palace and everything and just kind of chill here. And he sees Bathsheba. He's like, I'm king. I can have that. And he does it. And then to cover it up, he has, he has Bathsheba's husband killed. That's a big mess up. That's a big, big, huge mess up. I mean, for those of you who think, like, I can't be like the people in the Bible. If you haven't done that, then you're better than David. Who wrote most of the Psalms? Think about that. And so Nathan, the prophet, comes and says, hey, there's a guy that took this and he did this and he did that. And David gets just indignant with it. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. Who would do that? Who would steal someone else's property like that and take it over and, and kill the person? Do that. And what does Nathan do? Nathan replies to David, you are the man. Let me ask you, who's your Nathan? Who's the person that's going to step into you and say, man, people, I'm messing up. You're the man. You're the woman that's messing up. We need that. We, we've become so concerned about offending one another that we in our culture now that anything goes. We need people to start speaking into each other and say, hey, you need to stop that. This is what it means to be a husband. This is what it means to be a wife. This is what it means to be a son or a daughter. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be a church member. This is what it means to be just fill in the blank. We need people that will confront us. And so who's your Nathan? Who's, who speaks into you, not only encourages you, but bears that truth to you, holds that mirror up? I ain't got, there are people in my life there. <coughs> I still, once in a while, get emails. My very first boss in ministry was a guy named Jim Meredith. He was an old retired colonel. And, and, and he was my boss, and you always knew he'd come because he, he kind of talked like this. It was always funny. You looked at him, but whenever he looked at me, we lived in Colorado Springs before we moved to Sicily, and he would call me into the office, and I always knew that I was getting in trouble if he didn't call my wife with me because he loved her. <laughs> There was nothing ever bad said around her. But if it was just like, Tony, I need you to come in. All right, I'll bring Sherry. Nope, just you. I'm like, ooh, I did something. I'm in trouble. But for years, I would get an email from Jim Meredith, and he would ask him questions like, how are you treating your wife? Have you looked at any pornography? Have you done anything to discourage or disdain your wife at all? And he would ask me hard questions. And he would put that mirror up in front of me. You can do better. You're made for better. Who's that for you? In the context of the church, it's awesome. We get together and we know, we know, we know church language, right? How you doing? Fine. How's your week? Fine. I don't know about you, but I. Sh I wear my stress. My wife always tells me, like, she can tell I'm done preaching and I've got a lot on my mind. She's like, Tony, you're wearing it. You're wearing it. She, she, is, she is my Jonathan and my Nathan, like, usually in the same sentence. <laughs> but, I, but I wear it, but most of the time we're just fine and everything. And, and I understand that we're in, a, we're in a kind of a bigger group. It, it's sometimes hard to open up. 
Guys, this is why it's so important that I think we have home groups. We have family groups. That you find a group of people that you can encourage, that can encourage you, that you can speak in, that we're not meeting just on Sunday. Because, guys, if this is the only encouragement and the only truth you're getting every week, man, you ain't going to make it. I'm telling you, by about Wednesday, I'm thinking about the next sermon. I'm, all that stuff is piled back onto me. I need to be able to go to a place. And so, man, if you have a heart for like, man, I want to see this happen in our church, become a, become a family group leader. Say, I'll start one at my house. I can't wait for us to move into our new house. I've already talked to my wife. She says, we're having one here every week. We're, we're going to get those. Get involved with those. We're going to, in the next month or so, we're going to have signups for those again. Say, let's get you connected with that. So there's a place, a safe place you can go to be encouraged, where you can, you can be speaking, where you experience that community, not just on Sunday, but also in the middle of the week <coughs> to get us by. Back in the day, we used to have Wednesday church. It's kind of gone out of style. And I understand our facilities really don't allow us to have like Wednesday church and, and Sunday school and all that stuff. And a lot of people are busy. I can tell you, I think more people will show up to, to your house than they'll show up to here on a Sunday morning for a Sunday school class. We need community. We need to come together. We are made to be together. It's God's plan. It, it, it's, got, it's a choice we make, and it is a testimony. And so we cannot just experience here on a Sunday morning, and that it. I challenge you this week, start praying, God, who can be my Jonathan? Who can be my Nathan? God, and who can I be a Jonathan for? Who can I be a Nathan for? And see what God does. I think those are prayers that God answers. See, God loves me. And I love God. And that has to translate in how we love each other as a family. Because when we're doing that, man, there's nothing that this church can accomplish. I mean, there's barely 20 of us here right now. And we're believing God's bringing growth and all these things are going to happen over the next few months. But if we don't have this in our hearts right now, I'm going to tell you, come January when we're in a bigger facility, we're not going to have it then either. We have got to start praying and thinking about this right now. How do we love each other better? I love it. Francis Schaeffer, the great pastor, said this. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. The way we love each other here is going to tell everyone out there if what we believe is what we believe. And is it true? We get this right, we'll get that right. I always tell you, we can't be the church in here if we're not the church out there. Well, the reverse is the opposite, too. We can't be the church out there if we're not the family and the church in here either. So, who's your Jonathan? Who's your Nathan? Are you invested in community? Are you saying, man, I'm all in? If not, what's holding you back? 
what, what's, what, what's keeping you from that? Because it's not just a suggestion. It's a command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love one another. If we can't love each other, we definitely can't love the people out there. We're a family. Let's act like it.